0: You maniacs, you finally did it. You made a movie that has a butt-plug fight in it that I cried at. And welcome to this zero-credits supplemental reading of Everything Everywhere All at Once, directed by Daniels. My name is John. And my name is Henry. And if you haven't listened to a 0 credit supplemental reading before, uh, quick tips...
1: Tips? Uh, quick... <laughs> Quick, Ted! We've got some hot tips for you at the Quick. beginning of this episode. Now, for some hot tips before we start this supplemental reading. Uh, if this is your first supplemental reading because you really like this movie, we'll just let you know right now. Uh, we highly encourage everyone to see everything, everywhere, all at once before listening to the rest of this episode. Because we're going to talk about it as though we've seen it because we have. That being said, there are spoilers coming up, so if you haven't seen it already, pause the podcast now, get to your local movie theater by any means necessary, see this film in its entirety, and then, and only then, as the credits roll, can you listen to the rest of this episode.
0: Thank you. Yes, it is important to keep in mind you are supposed to listen. start this episode as the credits roll on the movie uh, to listen to this podcast at any other juncture uh is improper uh but with that being said henry i think we can get into it
1: that's right yes everything everywhere all at once
0: uh now going into this movie i I think If people had experienced the work of Daniels before, they maybe had uh, maybe some preconceived notions going into it. Daniels, of course, being uh, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, I believe.
1: And Uh, I believe Daniel Kwan is just going by Dan Kwan
0: now. Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, potentially Dan Scheinert, we'll see.
1: No, no, Um, he's still Daniel Scheinert.
0: At the time of this recording, Daniel Scheinert... Uh, A a directing duo uh, known most famously for directing uh, DJ Snake's music video for Turn Down for What and uh, the Daniel Radcliffe, Paul Dano, uh, farting corpse comedy drama, Swiss Army Man.
1: That is correct. Yes, that that they had a prolific career in music videos uh, before making their foray into... Movies with Swiss Army Man, and this seems to be their second major motion picture.
0: Uh, Yes, both produced by A24. Uh, And if anyone going into everything everywhere all at once saw Swiss Army Man, they are uh, certainly aware that Daniels have a very specific directorial uh, style and a a very specific style of writing. Uh, I think when I first heard about this movie... I had had the distinct impression that it was going to be similar to a Swiss Army Man, which is like, it has a lot of heart, but it's kind of largely outweighed by being goofy and irreverent. Right. And then I saw trailers for this movie. They started to play before, you know, movies I would see before watching this, like Ant-Man and the Wasp, like (laughs) Ant-Man, like Ant-Man 3, uh, all the Ant-Men. I would see trailers playing before these various Ant-Men. And for some reason, the trailers filled me with like a, a a deep, bittersweet emotion every time I saw it. So going into this, I, I really didn't know what to expect.
1: Yeah, Alamo Drafthouse, my theater of choice, was really pushing this movie kind of hard uh, for, all, for a while now, to, to the point where I would see the trailer and yell at the screen, In my head. Uh, When is it coming out? Jesus Christ, please let me see the movie so you'll stop playing the trailers. Uh, But every time I watched a trailer, I got the feeling of, I don't really know what that movie's about, and that's great, because I want to see it, so you don't really need to show me anymore.
0: Yeah, I think that's what A24 is really good at when they cut trailers, is making, like, piquing your interest the perfect amount most of the time and also A24 trailers kind of have a bad habit of making movies that aren't horror movies look like horror movies. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there is a little bit of that going on. Uh maybe uh maybe a little clickbaity, maybe a little disingenuous, but who am I to judge? And I I would like to say up front that I having seen this movie have some reservations about our ability <laughs> as critics yeah. to discuss it comprehensively and
1: meaningfully because this movie packs a fucking punch. I think one of the most important things that we can say about this movie is that in no way can any one critic or one outfit or or one point of view even or, or multiple points of view together, I don't think anyone is capable of really explaining or even doing this movie justice in any way, shape, or form.
0: Leaving the theater, it was the first time, genuinely, and I I think maybe I've said this on the podcast before, that a movie has rendered me some variety of speechless. Uh, But I don't think that's ever been more true. I was genuinely speechless, like, leaving the movie. Me and my fiancé went to see it, and leaving it, we didn't say a word to each other. Because leaving it, I I was thinking, like, how do you review that movie? In my mind, I was running through scenarios, like, how would I explain that movie to someone who was on the fence about seeing it? And I still don't think that I have the faculty to explain what I saw to people appropriately.
1: Yeah, and I think explaining it, it's kind of like a joke. You know, if you explain the joke, it loses what makes the joke funny i think explaining this movie and really breaking down the mechanics of it or or just breaking down an explanation of the plot is a disservice that kind of doesn't help
0: (laughs) it truly doesn't because this movie is so much more than the sum of its parts its parts are uh incredible oh there's so many of
1: them too they're they're everything
0: This is something that I thought about having watched the movie, and maybe anyone who has seen it would appreciate this, is it the only way I could meaningfully describe this movie to someone, I think, is that this is the first movie I've ever seen that feels modern, and I'll explain what I mean by that. I feel like... For the most part, the media that we consume outside of film and television by way of like TikToks and YouTube uh, is like highly chaotic and more impressionistic than realistic. And most of the content that we enjoy is in this very specific frame that I don't think television and movies have caught up to and everything everywhere all at once is that it is, it is manic it is, it is constantly changing. Uh, Everything is, is true in this movie at the same time. And you're just kind of long for the ride. And you compare that to like any other like multi million dollar grossing movie that comes out in theaters across the nation, which is just kind of like a plotting, like kind of serious action movie. Sometimes it has superheroes in it. Like they're not even the same breed.
1: Right. No, a a lot of your similar movies with this kind of budget, uh, the plot is sort of the most important thing to the audience. Like what happened in the movie? What's happening? What's going to happen next? That's the hook. That's the bait on the hook that you get people to enjoy. And, and if you get people to walk away from your movies, like, Oh, I understood what happened in the plot and they did really interesting things. With the plot that's really good. That's where all of the emphasis is put on, on sort of the movies today. And that's been ever since movies started talking, that's been what the genre and the medium has done. Um, Barring like your art house films, your indie films, your films that want to explore something else. Uh, but this is the first time I think in a long while I've seen like a big blockbuster movie with the big budget be basically an art house film. But then also include those elements of sort of like it's it's everything. <laughs> the movie, <laughs> the title is very apt. Yeah. Because this movie contains
0: everything you can think of it, it is truly the entire human experience in a movie there's a, there was a palpable feeling i got watching this movie and i think this might be where its magic lies is because daniels is so heartfelt and completely irreverent and i so at the alamo draft house there's this little psa that they play before every movie where they tell you not to talk during the movie And they recorded one with Daniels. And just to see these two bounce ideas off of each other to like script a PSA in this interview, I get the distinct impression that when they work together, there's not a lot of no's to ideas. And they they both have minds that work in such a particular way that watching it, and this was true of Swiss Army Man as well, I felt like a child because almost every movie that you see barring specific like you said arthouse films is focused almost entirely on a plot and and it's a plot that can only have so many different contours and branches and we've watched hundreds if not thousands of these movies so you kind of know what to expect in the broad strokes in that oh, you ex- yeah. you expect like a semi linear narrative <laughs> with a yeah. beginning an inciting incident, a resolution, a denouement, like you, you right. kind of expect those things. And that's not to say that everything everywhere all at once didn't have those. But the way it was presented, I genuinely had no idea what was going to happen next. I felt like a baby who was watching a movie for the first time. I felt like I was seeing new technology. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the, the form of your, your standard movie is so kind of set in not stone, but in standards and practices that, yeah, there are entire schools that will teach you how to write a screenplay in a way that a studio is going to want to buy it and produce it. And it's not like a formula, but it, there, there are these parts, you know, your, your act ones, your act twos and your act threes that contain certain elements that every movie that has come out in the past couple of decades has followed. And uh, this movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, kind of pulls the curtain back because it shows you when those acts are starting, and then you're, you're expecting things to be in that if, if you're in the know, and then it's just like, well, we have three parts, but they're not the three parts you're familiar with. Yeah,
0: the, the three-part structure in this movie was particularly interesting because they weren't kind of evenly divided to the film's runtime. Uh, they were, I don't know, maybe they were like divided by the golden ratio or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, that'd yeah, be, yeah, That'd be there, interesting. There, there was something else at play because you know, when you when you see that part one, everything flash up, like we're already now, because the title we can divide it, our, we can do the math ourselves. You showed us a part one, the title has three parts I, I, I'm set up now for you to show me the next two parts and then like half three fourths of the movie (laughs) then takes place. Yeah. And then part two is introduced and then it's like, wait, I forgot you did
0: the part one thing. (laughs) I am I'm interested in your interpretation of what the titles or what the sections meant, because to me, the interpretation was relative to Evelyn. The titles are what Evelyn is experiencing. Like the, everything yes Uh, title card comes up when she is extremely overwhelmed being audited about to lose the business and the the only home she has so she is completely overwhelmed and she is experiencing everything right and then the second act being everywhere is when she becomes unstuck to a reality and begins like bouncing around her pot has cracked uh and and she is everywhere and then, of course, the final act is when everything has coalesced and everything is happening all at once, and she's in an infinite num- an infinite uh, variety of times, places, dimensions at any given
1: time. I, I really like that interpretation because, uh, well, as I was film filming it, <laughs> I didn't film this. As I was viewing this, uh, the, what I was trying to work out was like, okay maybe the, the parts are, are what she has to learn to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, cause everything all, that, that first section also includes her learning about the multiverse. Oh, true, true. yes, And, and all these other things so It's like, okay, so first she has to learn how to be everything. Then she has to learn how to be everywhere to like tap into these different pathways to be able to have, you know, to fulfill the, the base requirements of, of the plot. It, it, sort of presents and then you know she doesn't have to learn how to be all at once but it's just sort of the result but i like your interpretation more of what she's having to deal with in each part because I, i think that's that's a better interpretation
0: i think both interpretations are valid and i think both of them kind of coalesce around what I what seems to be a misunderstood plot point, in my opinion, which is the all at once, the very end, where it seems like she's happy and can live in the moment and then gets distracted when she's talking uh, to the auditor. And it, it seems like some people's interpretation of this is that she's still feeling like the pull to the multiverse, but my read is like from the like dozens of like sounds and voices layered on top of each other is that she
1: is yeah, everywhere all at once. Yeah. I, I think I like the re- reading the end part of just like, this is the result. This is this yeah. is like, there's no, there's no more that needs to be learned and there's no more that she's dealing with. It's like, this is just the outcome. And, and I think she is, Experiencing all, the all at once, she's experienced. She's she's present in every one of those lines at the same time.
0: And I mean, there, there's so much we can talk about, like the the philosophy of this movie, how it's a movie about seemingly nihilism and also kind of Buddhism a little bit. Yeah, uh, there's 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 a lot of philosophical uh meat on these bones. But you know what? There's also a fanny pack fight scene.
1: <laughs> Oh man. The The great part of this movie is like it doesn't try to ever be more important than it is. <laughs> you yeah. Know? It, it it doesn't feel pretentious. It doesn't feel like it's flying in the face of the action movies because like, oh no, we're gonna we're gonna lean on the traditions of like your your traditional kung fu action movies because that's the vehicle that we wanna work with. So we're going to get the Jackie Chan school of fighting with the fanny pack, and but we're also going to do like the un-Jackie Chan-like thing, and we're going to reach our hands into an aquarium to fill that, fill that fanny pack full of rocks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing that I think made Swiss Army Man so great, is it is a movie with a, a ton of heart and has a, a mean experimental streak, but it is never too good for a fart joke like everything everywhere all at once is never too good for itself it's not a tarkovsky movie it's not a nostalgia or a solaris like it's not it's not up its own ass it's just a movie where things are up
1: asses right i I feel like if there were rules for this movie like rule number one is like we're we got to keep it fun throughout for the most part until you know comes time for the very serious things and even those are still presented in fun ways it's not like even though characters are monologuing like every their every thought and feeling in a way that you might see in like a play it's like yeah but they're rocks yeah it's so... It's <laughs> so, fuck you. <laughs> it's
0: so good. And, like, I know we're all over the place. I know we're everywhere all at once. But, like, the cast of this movie is just... Okay.
1: Untouchable. Okay. Let's, just, yeah. Let's talk about this very... Just... historyed cast. Just very... What is the word? The the the, the dignity, the, 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 the career this cast <laughs> has had is amazing. So, I, I think... I saw a little bit of
0: this on the film Reddit, which is never a place one should go. Uh, but a lot of people seem to not understand why this movie seemed to be like a very big movie for like uh, for for like Asians in film, uh, and I don't think they understand where people like Michelle Yeoh come from. <laughs> I don't oh, think man. they they understand where people like James Hong come from. Like yeah. he, these are people with extremely storied careers, and I feel terrible because I do not actually know how to re- pronounce K Hua Kwan's K Ke- Kwan.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I have been I've I've been calling him Key Ki Hua Kwan, but I, I don't know if that's correct. You know, I'll I'll look up the pronunciation. Yeah, but, uh, I mean James Hong, we just just casually glancing through the this cast's career James Hong is is one of the most prolific actors ever Yeah he he is one of the most prolific actors
0: in history in uh, let history. Let, alone, let alone
1: actors who are Asian he's been in everything He he is a voice or a presence in everything you've ever watched He is the everything everywhere all at once He he absolutely is and then like The
0: Michelle Yeoh has been, I think, I think, hear me out. I think Crazy Rich Asians did a lot of good. And uh, the Alamo Draft House had an incredible pre-roll about Asians in cinema, about Asian cinema. And the, it said like Crazy Rich Asians was like the like first number one all number one grossing movie theatrically with an all Asian cast. since like 1993.
1: Yeah. it's uh, like joy luck club. Ridiculous. Something like that. Yeah. It, it, and before joy luck club, it was, uh, that, that musical from like the 1960s. That was the only other high grossing all Asian cast and, and, you know, released widespread through America. It's just like, this is, it's ridiculous because you th- there, there's a huge history of of you know asian leads and asian led films internationally like hong kong and and of course japan like i'm just naming countries now and cities but like they've got huge film cultures that just never really quite made it big in america for some reason
0: i i truly don't get it because michelle yo kicks ass oh man I
1: really liked the pre-roll that Alamo Drafthouse did about her career where like she just, she happened to find these two film producers and just went to them and was like, Hey, I'm tired of being the damsel. What if I got to kick some ass? And they were like, yeah, why not? And they just, they just produced the movie. Like, uh, yes, ma'am. Her first like lead in the Kung Fu, like action movie it was like just perfect.
0: And you should do yourself a favor at some point, and and just look at Michelle's Yo, Michelle Yeoh's filmography. Uh, yeah. She is also extremely prolific, and like, just so uh, all of that crazy rich Asians talk to say like that movie is very influential and it's very important. But I feel like it kind of trampled all over the fact that Michelle Yeoh fucking kicks ass.
1: Yeah, finally uh, we have, you know, America. It's finally wise to the notion that Michelle Yeoh kicks ass.
0: Yes, we had a whole movie about how much ass Michelle Yeoh can kick. Yeah, um, she it's kicks everything everywhere, all at
1: once, everywhere, um, <laughs> all at once. All at once. <laughs> she kicks all of the ass.
0: I, I mean, we're just kind of glowing about this movie uh, at yeah. this point. But like,
1: I so, short round. Yeah, short round or data from the Goonies. His his triumphant return. He had been a producer uh, for a long time behind the scenes, but this is the, it's the first time in a very long time of him being in a role. And I mean, Jesus Christ, the dude fucking nailed. He crushed the, it. He crushed it. Like there's
0: the, there's this interview God. with him where he's saying that like, Oh, he's in a scene and he's like between Michelle, yo, uh, and, uh, Oh my God, Jamie Lee Curtis, and he j- he just feels so lucky, but so overwhelmed. And he doesn't feel like he can keep up, and he talks about like crying between takes because he he doesn't think he's cut out for. Oh, it. Apparently, man. like Jamie Lee Curtis, like went up to him after watching him on the monitors and like told him what an awesome take he did, and then it was off to the races. But, oh like, wow! That's I, I so think good his, Jamie Lee. his 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 performance led to I tried to clock it in the theater how many people in my row started crying during a very specific scene near the end of the movie with Waymond where his uh, speech yeah his, his speech that kind of gets to the this movie is genius by the way cuz it has a very specific thesis that states three different times uh because it really wants you to get it and his speech is one of those and uh, I think four people in the row that I could tell were like audibly crying
1: yeah no he saves he saves the movie not saves the movie but like if we're talking baseline plot he saves the day like yeah just with an impassioned you know emotional speech and i mean maybe just
0: me knowing what i know about him made, made his speech and made his performance so much more impactful to me, it's one of those things where, like, I, I feel like some people going into everything everywhere all at once, if they know the pedigree behind the people in it, it just makes it more impactful. Because a lot of these people uh, have been cast in, like, pretty minor or offensive roles or generally have been overlooked by Hollywood for serious acting.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, like, key... Well, Hugh Kwan kind of just left for a while. Yeah, because the roles he was getting were yeah, he was short round in Indiana Jones and Data and the Goonies and you know carrying these Asian stereotypes through these these just classic eighties films. And then it's like, well, what else is there for me other than this? I don't I don't want to be a part of this if this is all there is. And then he gets to come back and he gets to be just a full of life character with no stereotypes attached just just being his goofy ass self you know being just getting to act.
0: <laughs> I mean if you look at even James Hong, James Hong has been cast as a number of like inscrutable wizened Asians his entire career yeah like, it it he has I mean like his role in Balls of Fury bad. was in kung fu panda sure but like for the most part james hong has not been like cast in serious roles and that's not to say that gong gong and alpha gong gong are like the most serious roles but this movie takes its cast very seriously which is extremely heartening considering
1: what hollywood has typically done to asian people Right. Yeah. I I mean, I feel like from here on out, any executive is like, well, yeah, well, can Asian people lead a film? It's just like you showed them this and like (laughs) hold up a huge middle finger to them to be like, yes, they can. And they always could. This is nothing shifted to make this movie more successful today than than it would have been 10 years ago. It's just like you just didn't fucking do it. I I think I don't know if
0: this interview was actually part of the Alamo pre-roll or not, but there's an interview with Daniels where Dan Kwan is saying when he pitched the idea of everything everywhere, all at once to studios, they were like, yeah, but can an all Asian cast like really make money? And he's like, you guys gave me money for a movie where Harry Potter
1: was a farting corpse. Right. Exactly. It's like, you think this is a tough sell? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah
0: it's 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 ludicrous but god i i feel like i feel like we keep talking around the plot of this movie cuz how do you even talk about it other than in like uh like uh separate statements like oh rakakuni was amazing oh my gosh i mean rakakuni was like highlight Rak- of the
1: film to me R- rakakuni Amazing, because it starts out as like a misremembrance, yeah, explaining the plot of Ratatouille to her family. <laughs> yes, so, and- so they're they're delight and laughter, and then it turns out no, there's a universe in which it's raccoons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is a great example of how this movie made me feel like a baby watching a movie for the first time, because when she's explained that the theater was like busting up laughing and being like, ah, oh, Rakakuni, that's that's a really funny bit of writing. And then Rakakuni was not only real. But was part of a callback to a previously established shot where there was a better Benihana chef than her <laughs> yeah. with a suspiciously large hat and a little rat tail. Yeah, and <laughs> oh so no, that's that's just part of his hair. And then when we find out Ratatouille is real, I swear to God, everyone in the theater <laughs> gasped. Yeah, like they saw the raccoon, obviously, and then it took about two beats for them to realize, right. That this what they're seeing is radical acceptance on the screen. What they're seeing is every idea is real, yeah. uh, which you you never see in movies. I, I feel like when we do supplemental readings, a lot of our back and forth is talking about how a lot of ideas had to be compromised upon to end up delivering mm-hmm. this vision
1: we got. And I do not get that feeling from this movie whatsoever. No, I, I every idea they could think of <laughs> one was built on was accepted and built on but then two came around to have a really important moment or point like <laughs> it, it's introduced as a joke at first but she she ends up jumping to a, a universe where everyone has hot dog fingers. <laughs> and, and, like, we keep coming back to it, and each time it's kind of like, oh, the more we learn about this universe, the kind of the grosser it is. But then, like, it's all summed up in this really great silver lining moment. It's like, no, everything's not all bad. Even in a universe where we have hot dogs for fingers, we get really good with our feet. <laughs> yeah. There's always something to love. There's always something to love, which is, like, the, the, the culminating moment. And then, like, she's able to fight. There's this mob of people the way that she thinks her husband would fight, which is by solving all of their problems in really great ways. And it's just like at that moment, I was like, well, that's it. They made a way to make the hot dog fingers poignant (laughs) and relevant Perfect movie, no <laughs> they, no complaints. So they start
0: the hot dogs, the hot dog fingers thing. You're like, oh, that's a a cool two and a half minute kind of throwaway that maybe went on a little bit too long. And then they explain why it happened because a hot dog fingered ape killed a normal fingered <laughs> yes. ape. And yeah, and they then, show the science, they <laughs> show the, the they, origin. And then not only does the hot dog finger thing continue, it continues to the point where it becomes. Uh, heartbreaking, and then beautiful, and then redemptive,
1: <laughs> right? I, Cause, cause ugh. I think you can you can really examine that initial hot dog finger universe you know scene to really just break down the genius of this movie because like we flash there, everyone's got hot dog fingers, but then also the auditor is there, and like, well, that's weird. Why would she be there? And then. Uh, like, as it keeps – as we keep flashing back, they build a little bit more and a little bit more. It's like, oh, you're in a relationship with this person. Mm-hmm. It's like it's more than just the hot dog fingers thing. You know, there's there's layers here even though we keep getting grossed out because apparently the hot dogs also extrude <laughs> ketchup and mustard. <laughs>
0: yeah. They they shoot ketchup and mustard and it's a whole thing. But, like, I, I think – I think you're totally right. I think hot dog fingers are a microcosm of the movie because they are a premise that's on its face. Silly that is layered on top of something extremely true and written directly to the heart in a very deft way. Yeah. Like these movies, they, they almost weaponize this feeling of innocence. They force on you by making everything completely unexpected because beneath the lair of the totally unexpected. There's very clear, concise, heartfelt writing that's happening at every level.
1: And I think where the genius lies is it, where the genius lies in this movie is in that every scene, every character, every iteration, even if it was initially introduced as a joke, I feel like they were like, well, in every scene, every character has to be real has to be a person. No one is written off as just a joke. They've got wants, they've got needs, they're real. Let's flesh this out so that we can return it to the center line of like there is always something to love because if you look back, all of our characters are real people. None of them are just jokes.
0: It's almost like this is the only movie I can point to in recent memory that actually follows a classic rule in comedy screenwriting, which is no one is just a joke. Yeah, Like you, you can never write a character just to be a joke because then you're being cruel. And the only way to holistically write comedy is that no one can be boiled down to a joke. And th- this movie embodies that perfectly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's why it works so well. It's why, even though I groaned out loud every time I saw the hot dog fingers, now I'm singing about it. I'm praising it basically. And I mean, even in the like
0: somewhat expected archetypes, because even early on in the movie, when it's revealed that Wayman wants a divorce, uh, I started to like slot this into the mode in my brain, where I was like, "Okay, somewhat nebbish husband wants a divorce, can't ask for it, it's going to unveil slowly over the course of the movie, and then like they'll reconcile, or they won't, or he'll never have the guts, or whatever." And then none of that happens, and it it's it all plays out in the most advanced, like humanistic, beautiful way that like completely defies expectations.
1: Yeah, I, I mean the the one it's a learning scene because she, she tries to jump and she ends up just kind of in the van on the way home. But in that Waymond reveals that he, he used the divorce papers because a friend of his, like once he kind of presented divorce papers, his friend and his friend's wife, they work things out. So Waymond, like he doesn't really want a divorce, but like this is a way to start the conversation. of Like, Hey, I I want to fix this marriage, but, this is the only way I can get through to you that something's wrong.
0: And this is happening amidst the fact that, so there's this really interesting, like a stochastic choice system and that. And they say this a couple times, like you have to make the most stochastic action, essentially random action to open yourself up to traveling to other worlds. So while she is actively being attacked by Deirdre, the auditor, she needs to, uh like wholeheartedly confess her love to the auditor and only in being faced with the potential of wayman wanting a divorce can she like tap into the part of herself that can like genuinely say i love you to someone right uh, uh, genius level writing
1: yeah it's 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 fair and i thought that scene was going to go in a way where like she she confesses her love and then, then it's yeah absolutely but yeah, but then it, you know, she's saying it in both universes, so like it, it fixes the problem. But I think geniusly they didn't lean into the easy out. There there are no easy outs in this movie. It, everything is work. <laughs> Which yeah, I think just elevates it even further, because now it's like we you know, maybe they thought we would expect that, and now they're saying, no, your expectations will not be met with logical outcomes here uh because life is work that that's at the, <laughs> and we're going to make you work to get there <laughs> we're, we're going to yeah. make the characters work to get to the to the resolutions there is no easy way
0: out i mean it's it's a funny movie with butt plugs and rat cacuni, but this movie's challenging this movie challenges you to engage with almost every single thing that happens uh you you can't pee during this movie. There's no pee, there's no pee <laughs> no, break in this there's movie. There's no pee break. Yeah. I I also like so in terms of the the philosophy of, of this movie and it challenging you, I, I do have one preposition that I came prepared with that I would like to present you with and get your opinion on. All right, I'm here. I think that everything, everywhere, all at once has effectively replaced the usefulness of camus the myth of sisyphus (laughs) i think it has replaced the text it says everything the myth of sisyphus says in way less words and it uh quotes way (laughs) way fewer philosophers that you don't give a shit about and it sums it up pretty much perfectly in about two hours
1: I am not familiar with Camus' "The Myth of, of Sisyphus." I know the Greek, the Greek character.
0: Uh, so Camus' "The Myth of Sisyphus" is like a foundational text on nihilism. Like his, so the two quotes that people typically pull from the Myth of Sisyphus is the opening line, which is the fundamental question of philosophy: is whether or not to commit suicide. Uh, and then he lays out over the course of I don't know two hundred or something pages the idea that. Uh, the juvenile take on nihilism is that life is pointless and we should all just die as soon as we're born. Uh, but that it it doesn't square with life. And what we actually must do is we must imagine Sisyphus happy because if nothing matters, everything matters as much as anything else. Uh, so we might as well enjoy life. It's the, uh, it's the, it's the pleasurable bright side of nihilism that if nothing matters, then you can be happy and pursue things, that right. make you happy, which is what I think this movie ends up saying. Yes. And it's like tripart thesis is like <laughs> if there's a universe where you can be famous and a universe where you can do laundry, nothing matters. Do the universe where you can do laundry.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, my read on nihilism has always been you know, nothing matters, therefore we have to create what matters to us. Exactly. Know? There's no intrinsic value in anything. So we create the value that we would enjoy the most. And I think, yeah, I I think, yes, definitely. I think this movie does a really great job on a plot level of having a villain convince the protagonist that this is the right way. And then only to show a revelation that, wait, no. Yes, you are right. But at the same time, I have found this one thing and this one thing is worth living for is is worth fighting for. Yeah, so
0: I think the character of a Jobu Tabaki, right? Joy, yeah, Jobu Tabaki. Jobu Tabaki. Uh so I think the character of Joy and the Everything Bagel which top tier joke.
1: <laughs> Very good. Very good joke. Very good. Uh-huh. And if you watch closely like was was hinted at. Did I lose you? No, I, uh, yes, everything bagel. Uh, yeah, but no, the first time they show the van that, uh, that alpha, alpha Wayman's driving around in, there's a sign that says hail bagel. So, oh, you're right. Yeah. So like it didn't come from nowhere <laughs> they, they set it up beforehand
0: <laughs> like everything else in this movie it's planned to a degree that beggars belief yeah uh, but the everything bagel and joy in particular I think are like perfect embodiments of this kind of juvenile youthful form of nihilism, lapel de, vide, the call of the void the idea that like the death drive, that if one was to embrace nihilism without understanding it fully, then like you, you drive towards destruction. Uh, And the entire movie from the reveal that joy is Jobu Tabaki forward is the battle against the call of the void and, and embracing the joyful side of nihilism. Because when Evelyn is effectively convinced that the everything bagel is the answer and that nothing matters and the joy is right. Then she destroys her life and is miserable. Yeah. But when she embraces, uh, this is going to sound pretentious when she embraces like a more Buddhist third way, she opens her third eye and like literally, Oh my God, literally. And reaches out to people with kindness. There is a third way there. There is, there is a world without attachment and there is a world without, fighting there is there is a world without any kind of like positive or negative attachment and it's just caring for people it's having kindness for people regardless of whether or not they want to punch you in the face is actually the answer <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow i didn't even notice or i didn't even realize the third eye the google eye oh my god <laughs> oh
0: it the, the eyes are absolutely, like, it's oh, 100% becoming enlightened, embracing the Buddhist third way. It's 100% that.
1: Yeah, so I think in a way, yeah, it does replace Camus' The Myth of Sisyphus.
0: Because let's be real, 100 pages of Camus' The Myth of Sisyphus is him just flexing on how many philosophers he can quote and debunk. Fuck that guy.
1: Well, I mean, that's just the, that was the style at the time. Like to prove your thing right, you got to prove others wrong. That that's how you you create your your credentials. Uh, but with a movie, you create your credentials by having uh, a fully adult short round with a fanny pack, yeah. fighting <laughs> guards. <laughs> so
0: whereas uh, whereas Camus' The Myth of Sisyphus had this kind of like uh, kind of weaving narrative around. The, the Greek figure Sisyphus, that a co- I, I think maybe there were four parts in the book that led to Sisyphus ultimately being happy. This movie has uh, someone fighting people with their pinky fingers. Oh and, my God. And communicates the idea in a much less
1: time yeah. in a much clearer way. Uh, so in the one specific scene with the, the pinky fingers where she hits the person up and then like taps them down, a guy in an Alamo draft house, which is notorious for, like, no talking during the film, said out loud but to himself, this is a perfect movie. <laughs> they, they risked it
0: just to let them they, – they couldn't keep it in anymore.
1: Yes. Yeah, he said it out loud but clearly just to himself, just, like, basking in the awe Man, there are so many working elements in this movie. It's like it's one part Jet Li's The One, but instead of fighting himself, he's tapping in or, or tapping into the different versions of themselves and then it, it's like it can be it could play out as a beat for beat just kung fu comedy action movie, but it it resists that and then it's it's got everything in the movie and (laughs) it's 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 everywhere it it really
0: feels like such a (laughs) cop-out to say that this movie has everything in it but it really does because like i don't i genuinely can't remember the last time at a movie that i laughed as much as i did at this movie and i know that this is the dichotomy that everyone sets up when they try to show you that a movie has like a full range of emotional experience but like i can't I'll be totally awesome. I bawled like a baby <laughs> during this movie and wow. and discussing certain parts of this movie makes me really emotional. But like, yeah, I the person there was a couple to our right. We got pretty bad seats. We were all the way in the back. Uh, but a couple to our right, both of them were like shaking, crying <laughs> during parts of the final act of this movie. Uh, And then, like, a few other people in a row were, like, audibly crying at this movie. But also, like, I don't know that I've seen a theater react uh, with so much laughter to a movie. I mean, during the part where they're in the universe where the conditions weren't right for life to form and they're rocks. Dead silence. Oh, my God. And the theater was laughing uproariously. This, that...
1: I think that scene might be might be my favorite.
0: <laughs> it's so ballsy. It's so
1: good. It's yeah. It's it's so, so good. good. Anyway, and, this is and, the new and myth just, of Sisyphus. It was, yeah, it is the new Death of Sisyphus. But just like every other scene in the movie, that initial scene with the rocks becomes a building block for a scene later in the movie to like Absolutely. have a really poignant punch. My so I saw my real favorite moment of the movie. Is it's during like one of the three multiverse jumping monologues. Because mm. there are three of them. They're all great. They're all performed by different characters. Like I said, tripartite <laughs> thesis. It's amazing. But it's 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 um it's Michelle Yo's character's uh monologue, and then the rock just turns around with googly eyes <laughs> and says like and just says, I'm gonna get you. Yeah, there like, are oh no rules. <laughs> I'm going to get you. It's just like, that is such like, and one text on a screen sentence, they capture just pure mom energy. Yeah. In a moment that's like, I don't know how you would do that otherwise. Yeah. And, and then there, <laughs> even
0: after all of that, and after Michelle Yeoh's like uh, part of the tripartite thesis, the ultimate, resolution for this movie which is i think like the 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 most the most buddhist take on it is it's only resolved in letting go like only in loss of attachment can someone have true attachment so only in like letting go of joy is she able to have joy because it was the having joy that kept her from being with
1: joy right yeah Letting go of the possessiveness to have them come back to you on their own accord. Yeah, because
0: in any other movie, if she went up to Gong Gong and said, this is her girlfriend,
1: that would solve it. Yeah, that would magically solve it. And and I really like, yeah, sorry, you were about to say. No, it's just that that's not the heart of their problem.
0: The heart of their problem isn't that she's not a strong enough advocate. It's that she holds on too strongly. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh man, Gong Gong's a great character. I I like I like Al- I like Alpha Gong Gong with his ro- <laughs> robot computer suit. When,
0: when when James Hong says, "I am Alpha Gong Gong,"
1: <laughs> I gasped. Yeah, well, I mean, is it the character is introduced in the best way possible, which is <laughs> ramming the villain off screen yeah. in a wheelchair. <laughs>
0: Yes, absolutely, which is just his regular wheelchair but with a fax machine and a coffee maker attached to it.
1: Oh man. And I, I yeah, his little headpiece includes a like it goes all the way to his mouth. Yes. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, there's so many great details, John. Ah. Uh, and it, one of which is a is a song you might have caught. Um, uh, I don't know about this one. Oh, you you didn't catch this. Doesn't seem like it. What if I were to tell you that a one-hit wonder from the from uh, the 2000s is in this film? No, I don't know what you're talking about. What if I told you a one-hit wonder from the 2000s is in this film multiple times? Uh, please tell me. What if I told you the song absolutely, open parentheses, story of a girl, close parentheses, is in this, song, is what? In this movie over four times. What? Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not. When? Okay. Um so <laughs> the first t- the first time that you kind of get a hint of it is when uh Alpha Alpha Wayman is explaining to um Evelyn just what's at stake. Uh, it's the monologue where they, it says, like, your clothes never fit quite the same way. And I forget the next, the something about your coffee being bad. Mm-hmm. Those are lyrics straight from the song. What? To start. Um, but here, here's a quote from uh, from Dan Quan. Your
0: clothes never wear as well
1: the next day and your hair never falls in quite the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Alpha Wayman says that to Evelyn verbatim. Yeah. Uh, and here's, here's Dan Kwan to explain. We were writing this scene, and as we were writing this monologue, we were struggling. Then these words came out of my hands, like the muse inspired us. I was like, oh, this is good, but I didn't write this. Where did this come from? So I Googled the lyrics, and I was like, oh, this is the song from the 90s that has been stuck in my brain somewhere in my subconscious waiting to come out. And I was like, that's really funny. I'm not going to tell anyone. And just see if anybody notices. <laughs> I love these two people. So the night before shooting, we were like, we have to rewrite it. We can't just steal this guy's lyrics. That's so stupid. But we couldn't come up with anything better. So we just shot it with the lyrics. I cannot believe that. It is. I looked up the lyrics. It's true. It's true. And then, oh no, they were like, okay, we got to change it. They're going to, they're going to, someone's going to notice during the screening, and no one did. So they're like, okay, well, instead of changing it, what if it became a part of it? maybe we can just put the song in the movie and it'll become a part of it. For some reason, it makes sense in the multiverse <laughs> and it kind of grew from there. So they contacted the songwriter. Nine John, Days or whatever? Yeah, the lead singer. They contacted Nine Days' lead singer, John Hampson, uh, who was really thrilled about them using the song. And they, they said, what if you were re-recorded the song four different times so we could play it in four different universes. Oh my god,
0: what? <laughs> is this playing diegetically in the background? I didn't
1: notice it? Um. <laughs> you will notice it on a rewatch. Now that I've told you, you I mean, will I, notice. I have tickets to see it again later <laughs> this week. Right. Uh, the second version of the track is called Absolutely Story of a Chef. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, is it the Benihana? Hanna? It's in the Benihana. Oh my god. Uh, the Another version is called Absolutely Story of a Dom. Uh-huh,
0: yeah. Plays For in the, the bondage dom- scene.
1: Yep. Uh, and then, I can't find the last one, but there are layers of layers of Absolutely Story of a Girl, a, a one-hit wonder from nine days, interlaced into this movie four different times, and that is just brilliant this is
0: this is you are witnessing in real time what this movie does to you because my mind right now is blown to pieces <laughs>
1: yeah. i noticed the song twice i didn't notice they had changed the lyrics and, and re-recorded it for the different universes um, but i i definitely clocked it when wayman said your clothes never fit quite the same way you never your hair never falls in quite or yeah, when he said that, I'm like, that's from something.
0: There were about ten percent of the audience in the sold out showing I went to that that laughed at that, and I was like, I guess it's funny. Uh, I had no idea. That is so fucking mind blowing.
1: Yes, this oh my movie. God. This movie's in it. Just it's crazy. I can't. It's next level. Maybe this is what
0: would happen to any movie if we gave people like pure creative control in the way that A24 seems to have given Daniels.
1: Yeah. Complete creative control and then just as much time as they need to actually write and film it.
0: Yeah. I I'm I'm reeling. I'm I'm trying to recover. This is how I felt. <laughs> this is genuinely how I felt leaving the movie with this feeling of like
1: total
0: awe and respect for the thing that i just saw and you telling me that one fact i'm i'm reeling because i'm imagining a world where every movie has that kind of leeway to just be like uh this nine days song I accidentally wrote it let's not only lean into it <laughs> but let's lean into it 10 times harder than anyone would have thought we would have
1: That's what this movie is. Pure
0: commitment.
1: Yeah. Here, to give you some time to recover, here's the verse, absolutely story of a dom. Uh, This is the story of a dom. She ties me up so good, but it's so wrong. Oh,
0: no, they changed all the
1: lyrics. And while she'll post uncensored photographs, I absolutely love it. My safe word, smile. Oh, that's very good. And apparently John, John Hampson wrote that, like the lead singer came up with the new lyrics himself. I mean, I feel like this is just me being in creative mode, but
0: like, if you got to a point where you reached out to John Hampson himself, he's got to write the lyrics, right? Like you have to respect him enough. If you used his lyrics as dialogue in your movie,
1: that's I'm so blown away. That's you you so- might
0: have <laughs> stopped the podcast in its tracks.
1: <laughs> I, I know that's so such great lane, such creative work, such great details. For like, if there are throwaway jokes in this, which I don't believe there are, but if you could describe something as a throwaway joke, that's it. Like it's just in the background <laughs> for it people is, to maybe notice. It
0: is truly insane to me that the closest this movie gets to a throwaway joke is full-on dialogue spoken by a character at a pivotal moment, followed by multiple renditions of the song, tailor-made to their individual multiverse. Yes. Yeah. That's just how this movie rolls, dude. Like, that, this movie is full gas.
1: Right. I mean, it's, it's truly it's it's truly elevating the medium of filmmaking to a, a level that i i think needs to be held as a new standard like you need to put in that much effort and that much work to to make sure all of the parts of your movie's engine are humming on the same frequency or I, or else it's like what's what's the point you know
0: <laughs> i almost feel like this movie to some degree blows a thesis or a preposition that we created a few weeks ago out of the water. So I I think that you and I have been, as of late, kind of tepid on the kind of algorithmic content creation paradigm we're in that creates most Marvel movies. Like, post-Endgame, we don't really care about Shang-Chi or whatever. And Hawkeye was good. But, like, we it seems like media that nourishes us is dying. And I had a call to action for people to like engage with nourishing media. And I think what my definition of it was at that time is media that is like not pleasant watching, but enriches you in some way. And I think even up until seeing everything everywhere all at once, I thought that something had to, a a film had to be somewhat unpleasant to enrich you. And this movie explodes that paradigm by saying a movie can be hilarious. It can be action packed. It can have like extended uh, heart pounding martial arts sequences, and it can also enrich you and change the way you live your life at the same time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This just we didn't really have one until now. I, I truly think and I don't want to
0: sound too glowing, even though we've been glowing about this movie for 45 minutes, but like, I, there's nothing like it, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely not. No, I, I mean, in no other film can you have a character doing a monologue spanning just different versions of themselves and different multiverses, all of them being true and the monologue being applied to all of them at once. Like it, it's taking the intellectual monologue in a way and just creating a new form out of that because like they're just separate, but they're related in theme and, and we're just seeing them all unfold at the same time. That's not been done before.
0: I think I think by accident you actually just coined the term for this very real thing It's like it's an it's a montage in. It's a monologue, intellectual montage. It's an intellectual monologue. It is a monologue that applies not only to the various multiverses you're seeing in the film, but to your fucking life. Because the power of an intellectual montage is that it creates a feeling in you that is not necessarily happening on the screen. Uh, Whereas the the intellectual uh, monologue uh, creates a feeling in you that is not necessarily being spoken directly. Right.
1: Uh, given
0: yeah. the number of like scenes and multiverses or whatever
1: it's. Yeah. I, I mean, generally I think there's some writing advice for like filmmakers or script writers out there. It's like, well, you can't shout what you want to shout at the, at the audience. You can't have your characters just say what you want to say to the audience. And I think the Daniels took the, like the opportunity to be like, well, if we flash enough images in front of them while we do that, maybe they won't notice.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. This this movie is almost like being – it's almost like uh, experiencing mentalism. It, it feels like a magic trick what this yeah. movie is able to make happen within you while you're watching it.
1: I really want – I mean when this movie comes out like on digital and stuff, I, I need somebody – to go frame by frame in that one moment where we see all of the different Evelyn's mm-hmm. that are flat. I didn't blink for that segment. Cause I'm like, I'm going to miss something. And now like, I, I feel like this is going to reroute my brain to understand life. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, it's an impossibly dense movie too, which is why I'm looking forward to seeing it a second
1: time. Yeah, for sure.
0: God, it's, I'm glad that we were able to talk about this. In some ways, it feels like a therapy session because, like, I've seen a lot of movies. I don't consider myself like a Greg Turkington level film buff or anything, <laughs> uh, but I've seen a lot of movies. And coming out of this, like the the core idea I kept coming back to is: is that movie like first of its kind? Like, have I ever seen anything like that before? And I kept fighting against it, being like, I have to have seen. Something like this before.
1: Well, this can't be as unique as it feels, and it is. It, it is definitely in its and in, in the way it's being shown. But if we were going to do the really boring thing, which is to break down the plot to its base elements, we've kind of seen this movie twice in the past year. Yeah, the, this movie, the the core elements of this movie's plot absolutely
0: already exist.
1: Yeah, it, yeah. And and I won't name the films, and I won't even do a comparison. That technically the resolutions are a little bit the same. Uh, I think what's more important here is like this movie is kind of like yeah, there's a plot, but fuck fuck the plot.
0: Yeah, the, the <laughs> plot cares is, about the plot. the The plot is certainly important insofar as it exists, but this yeah. is like uh it it's a panoply of ideas on top of. A plot and a linear story, and the ideas are worth so much more. This
1: movie potentially is going to change the way I live my life a little bit. I mean, that's crazy. That I mean, wait, who was the poet? Was it Rilke? Wait, what poet? Who said uh, "You must change your life"? At the end of a oh yeah, it was Rilke. Yeah, the archaic torso of Apollo, I think. Yeah, for sure. I feel like you know, if they wanted to go full out out house. If they wanted to listen, there's a very important rule in filmmaking do
0: not go full outhouse. Under they, no circumstances should you go full outhouse.
1: If they wanted to go full art house, they could have just flashed up at the very end before the credits. Yeah. She <laughs> must change your life and then attribute it to Rilka. But I, you know, I think they got their point across. I mean, without that. This is going
0: to be the most pretentious thing we've maybe ever said on the podcast, but I think everything, everywhere, all at once is actually something that proves Rilke's The Archaic Torso of Apollo to be true, because it generally carries with it this idea that upon seeing works of great beauty, we turn that gaze inward, and then we feel an implacable desire to change our life being presented with such great beauty— and i yeah. think that everything everywhere all at once is an archaic torso of apollo to us like after having seen that movie i'm like something's going to change like <laughs> i i just saw something so beautiful and so unique my life has got to change in some way
1: yeah it's crazy the amount of people i've seen writing about everything everywhere all at once and the message is the same you need to go see this film like everyone needs to go see this film. And I, I think it's with the gravitas of this is a life changing movie. I I
0: definitely think that that's true. I do. I'm somewhat concerned because for the past maybe 12 years, probably longer than that, uh, but I'm going to say for the past 12 years, it seems like there can be no popular groundswell of opinion for a movie without a sizable and public backlash around which people uh, stake their personalities and internet personas. Uh, And I really hope this movie doesn't get that. And I don't know why we've ended up in a place as a culture where people will like die on the hill of hating certain pieces of art and refusing to be uh, convinced otherwise. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Maybe there's something wrong in the way that we incentivize people to make money on platforms where it doesn't make sense to be convinced of other things. Uh, yeah. I just hope this movie doesn't have that. I hope people can see through it. I hope everyone loves this movie because it's going to re- really bum me out when people start like dunking on it on Twitter or whatever.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, some people already are. but Yeah, it, but fuck they, those they, people. They, yeah, they are those people will dunk on anything that is even remotely popular. They're contrarian for the point of contrarianism. And it's just not, it's like, if you're it, look, if you're boring, just say that. (laughs) Yeah. Just say you're boring. Yeah. Uh, well, I have to say this because otherwise I'm going to regret never saying it. Um, I, from a storytelling perspective, what I really like about this multiverse film Is that if you were to happen to remove all of the multiverse parts out of it and just had the scenes like in the laundromat, at the audit, at the uh, the IRS office before like the crazy stuff happens and then the party and then just a scene in the parking lot. If you were to just remove the middle part, all the crazy stuff you still have a coherent start to finish.
0: Yeah. Everything still makes sense because when she, when she embraces the nihilism of Jobu Tabaki, she's just having what could be perceived on the outside as a mental breakdown from being overwhelmed.
1: Yeah. Like just, it, it's amazing that they kept that through line and then interspliced all of the really cool parts. Like, yeah. but it's just like they, they, they made sure to, to make sure like that, that, structure was there so that the movie would hold and And that that's crazy it's (laughs) it's such an
0: incredible feat of rain because all of her growth also happens in those scenes
1: yeah it's so smart these people give them the money (laughs) give them the money Yeah, their next one look they're at a point where if they make a bad movie they're dead to me (laughs) i mean i think swiss army man is kind of as bad as they could do yeah
0: uh but but we'll see We'll even after wait movie, four
1: years, I, I, I really applaud their moves in that movie, too. I won't talk about them because this isn't a, a supplement or reading of that movie, but even a, they, they pulled moves in Swiss Army Man that kind of, like really made me applaud them because it's like you're commenting on an entire genre of like indie romance film Absolutely. right now, and, and that's amazing because I didn't expect that out of the magical farting corpse <laughs> movie,
0: yeah. <laughs> I I almost feel like that could be their brand at a certain point is like whatever you could market their movie as it is probably the most succinct way you could describe it. It in no way encapsulates what the movie
1: actually is. Right. Man. It's, they just happen to have movies that are like, okay, we could package it like this. It's like, oh yeah, but you could, but it's so much more. It's like, well, for the sake of simplicity, (laughs) this is a Kung Fu movie. And they're like, well, if that's what gets people to see it, but we've got a lot more to say. It's not just Kung Fu. What's going to get butts
0: in seats, a uh, farting corpse movie or commentary on romance movies, farting corpse movie. What's going to get people in seats, a uh, multiverse jumping martial arts, fanny pack fights, or uh, an extremely concise critique of juvenile nihilism and the embracing of kindness as an option. Yeah. Probably the fanny pack fights.
1: Right. Exactly. God. And I I just, I mean, I love this theater, but I got to, I got to give props to the, the Alamo draft house for pushing for this movie so hard. Like they started showing the trailer about a half a year ago and then right before the movie came out, they started running their own commercial for the movie Mm -hmm. as in like an Alamo draft house recommends. Like They. The, the, someone saw that movie at Alamo Drafthouse and was like, We got to make sure people see this film. From my understanding,
0: uh, that is exactly what it is. Is people at certain people at Alamo Drafthouse get screeners or go to the premiere and then they try to boost movies that they genuinely think are important. Well, the, I applaud that. I will yeah. applaud that to the end of time. I, uh, yeah, there are apparently whole movie theater chains in America that are. Uh, you might bristle at this. There are apparently whole movie theater chains in the United States and Canada that have yet to show everything everywhere all at once, because they are continuing to show Spider-Man: No Way Home going into its fifth month. What? Yes. What? Yes. This is this is it's, true. It's
1: out on digital this month. It, I, I, it, no, it's out. It's out. Not even on digital. It's out on the home video this month.
0: But yeah, apparently there are um, whole movie theater chains in in less populous parts of America that that because of the pricing, even though Marvel movies take a bigger cut than A24 does, they have made (laughs) the decision to show Spider-Man No Way Home uh, going into its uh, fifth month rather than everything everywhere all at once. So uh, theaters are dead.
1: Listen, folks at home who have already seen the movie. If you could only watch one multi dimensional story this movie, yes.
0: this summer. If you could only watch one multi dimensional story, kind of the same beats and has a raccoon in it. Yeah. Uh, watch Everything Everywhere all at once. Even though No Way Home is quite good.
1: It came out last year. That was last year's multi dimensional movie.
0: This is the multi dimensional
1: movie of 2022, baby yeah well it's, it's
0: of the season at least <laughs> uh, yes who knows what the second quarter will bring third quarter will bring
1: oh uh, when does the next spider verse come out no <laughs> oh, i don't care morbius uh, i think it's this year sure spider verse the good ones john oh then that oh what a good year yeah, into the Spider-Verse. Sorry. Oh my god, what a good year.
0: You know, yeah. he, here's here's a here's a brave thing that I'm gonna say. Directorial duos are the future. Daniels, Lord and Miller. Yeah. Whoever those that directorial duo who directed the best episodes of Hawkeye are, the future.
1: The Russo brothers. They, they,
0: Russo brothers? I think the Russo brothers were I
1: think they were listed as producers on everything everywhere all at once. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they've been producing things forever. They're smarties. They're really good at it. They're smart brothers. Yeah. Duffer brothers. Stranger Things trailer just
0: dropped today. The um, Duplass brothers. Apparently they broke up. Good.
1: I don't <laughs> like them.
0: <laughs> uh, the uh, What's the non-annoying one? The one who's in um, Transparent? I don't know. He's a fine actor.
1: Yeah. I don't like any of his works. Yeah. Mark Duplass.
0: Yeah. They're fine actors. I don't know. Yeah. They're from New Orleans. I don't like them. Oh, you're going to tear down the Leslie LeBontons over here?
1: Look, I just think the New Orleans private school system, or it's not really a system, but New Orleans private schools just tends to produce a certain kind of person. And they're of that type. We need to find out where the Daniels went to school and then enroll
0: there as high school students. As high school students. I want an education where that I want to be able to make the films they make, for yeah. sure. I want to make a podcast as
1: good as a movie that they made. I don't know if that's possible, John, but we did do a, a timeline hopping thrilling adventure once. Hold on. Are you saying we did it first? <laughs> nah, no, Not in the same way at all.
0: <laughs> I'm going to send an email to Daniels that says, point uh, one, you've killed the idea of Camus. Part two, uh, you've proven to me that uh, Rainier Maria Rilke's uh, The Archaic Torso of Apollo is true. And three, we did it first,
1: baby. <laughs> we did it first, baby. Uh and then he just sends a clip of like The Simpsons doing it before we did it, and it's like, yeah. okay, well, never mind. Yeah, that seems like something they do. Uh, now, normally, John, toward the end of these supplemental readings, for some bizarre reason, we rate. <laughs> 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 yeah, because up
0: until this point, in any of these <laughs> supplementaries we've kept the cards pretty close
1: to the chest. Uh, the the thing is, the scale goes from like. <laughs> Don't want more of it to gotta have more of it. But like, I love this movie. I don't want a sequel or anything. Gotta have more of it. I don't know about that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah, that's the problem. Maybe that's a problem inherent in our rating system, implying that there must be more of something.
1: Well, yeah, it's part of the Hollywood system of like sequelize everything, make everything into a franchise, get as much money out of a property as possible. And, and we've been playing into that because we're just, you know, we're, we're decoding the Hollywood system through our podcast a little bit. Uh, but now I think we need to put our foot down and say, uh, no, yeah, we, we, we don't we don't have to do that. This is a great movie that everyone should see once. Or twice, or as many times as you want, but at least once. <laughs> let me let me propose something
0: to you, a change to the scale. Okay, cool. On the like it, love it, gotta have more of it side, Yeah, I, I propose the positive integers of like it. <laughs> Apparently we can't be indifferent about something.
1: I propose like it, love it, gotta have more of it. You must change your life. <laughs> oh, the end of our, our positive scale is you must change your life. I will accept your terms, but we do need a pejorative to match.
0: Yes, unfortunately, on the negative side, it is don't like it, don't love loathe, it. It. loathe it, gotta have less, of, less it. of it, you must end your life.
1: <laughs> oh, no! Oh, <laughs> no. Pray, pray we never... <laughs>
0: pray we never talk
1: about a movie oh no that's oh that's gonna oh as soon as we watch any of the venoms (laughs) oh no they're all gonna be straight you must end your life
0: (laughs) we don't have to adopt the scale it's only this is
1: only a business case this is no sorry (laughs) any changes (laughs) are are far reaching so yes i approve motion passes the new scale From you must end your life <laughs> to you must change
0: your life. There is no point on the scale in which your life is fine as it is, by the way.
1: No, of course not. Well, you wouldn't be watching movies if you were fine with your life, right? Yeah, you'd be like playing pickleball or something. Right. Uh, so in the case of everything, everywhere, all, of, all at once, uh, this is a definite you must change your life for <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah,
0: this is the the... As far as I'm concerned, for the art form of filmmaking, it is peak of the art. It is the archaic Taurus of Apollo. You must change your life. See this movie. Uh, You've seen it already. See it again. Yeah. Highest praise possible.
1: This movie. I mean, I think people knew when they started listening when this wasn't a fucking marvel movie yeah or a batman movie i think people knew that this one was going to be pretty special we didn't even talk about this but this is like
0: an emergency broadcast supplementary because we both saw it we yeah. didn't we didn't say hey this we're was... going to do a supplementary reading of this movie and then we went and saw it we both saw it yeah. and they're
1: like well we f- we gotta right yeah this was an unplanned supplemental reading which i think is a first I mean, other than, like, the first one we did (laughs) drunkenly about over the garden wall. Ah,
0: we got very drunk and talked about cartoons a lot back
1: then. Yeah. Now I don't even drink on the weekday.
0: Yeah, I drink a lot of beers now that I'm unemployed, but anyway.
1: But anyway, this has been a zero-credit supplemental reading of everything, everywhere, all at once. We hope you enjoyed the discussions we raised today, and we hope you've got thoughts of your own and uh i mean we're good to wrap up right (laughs) yes we're good to wrap up if you if you do have thoughts
0: please reach out to us in the ways as follows while i read you the very straight uh social media reads which typically follow a supplementary i don't know why this is so hard for me this week if you want to send us a tweet about the movie anything we said the death of Camus or the birth of the new ratings scale the birth of alpha gong gong you can do so by sending a tweet that's what you do to at zcpcwhj on twitter.com which stands for henry
1: that stands for you must change your life john
0: And if you want to change our lives by sending us a cute little email, maybe put a little kiss, maybe put a little kiss in that email, Uh, you can send us you can send us you you can send us a kiss email uh, to email at zerocredits.net. The website is still up. There was a there was a close call that I won't get into, but the website is up. Our forwarders, our forwarders still work. Don't you worry your pretty little head about it. We are on what is happening. We are on most podcast services, wherever you get your podcast, except Stitcher. Uh, So wherever you get this podcast from, uh, please rate or comment if you're able. And if you're not able Uh, the best thing you can do is to find someone and tell them, first of all, to go see everything everywhere all at once. It is a life-changing movie, and we mean that genuinely. We gushed about it for an hour. Uh, But secondly, you should tell them to listen to this podcast, because it's fine. Uh, (laughs) Because word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. Uh, So tell your friends across many multiverses, stick your hot dog fingers in their mouths because that's how they'll know about the podcast in the universe where sticking your hot dog fingers in someone's mouth makes them learn about the podcast
1: and from everyone here at the many multi-dimensional studios of zero credits we want to wish you a happy week goodbye goodbye
0: Do you think that people listening to this, if they've ever listened from like episode (laughs) one, are like waiting for the one in 50 episode moment where we actually like (laughs) remember our comprehensive liberal arts (laughs) educations and actually think critically about things. Yeah. Real heads always mourn the death of us. (laughs) (laughs) The the death of us actually looking at things through like a meaningful, literary, critical lens. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Long live the two idiots that (laughs) reign 99% of the time.
0: Time. I just type on computer now and then we talk about bad movie. <laughs>